The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out of here. A grand slam home run. And this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we get together with you as we do each and every Monday night to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Of course, the Cleveland Indians, they're trying to run out the string on the American League Central this year. They've got a seven-game lead heading into tonight's action at Chicago. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds, as we've been saying for the last few weeks, they're playing some of the best baseball in the National League, and they just took three out of four from Pittsburgh, and they're leading Milwaukee tonight. And if they could sweep the Brewers, they'll be out of last place in the National League Central Division. But in order to do that, after a week's hiatus, let's bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm fine, Dave, and I want you to know my hiatus was well spent because I was helping puppies and people, and senior citizen people, they were like three years older than me, uh, but I considered them senior citizens. But uh, it was the puppies that really got me to miss last week, and I, I hope you understand that. I can understand it. I'm sure the puppies do also. I'm sure the puppies are better looking than you are anyway. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, oh, boy. Here we go. I opened yeah, the door on something. You did. And uh, you're right, and I hate to say that. You know how much I hate to say that. Uh-huh. But the Reds have played pretty good baseball the second half of the year. As a matter of fact, going into tonight's game, they won 28 and tw- lost 25. Not spectacular, but a 528 winning percentage. You know where they would be if they played a 528 winning percentage for the entire year, except for instead of just the second half? I'm not going to cheat, and I am not going to look at the standings, but if I was a guessing person, which I will be, I would say second place in the Central. Uh, They'd be tied with the Cardinals for second place in the Central, and they would be tied with the Cardinals for the second wild card spot. Isn't that amazing? Now, isn't it amazing that this team uh, gave away Cueto and Chapman and uh, some other players, and it's amazing that had they just played close to 500 ball or a little better than 500 ball the first half, they'd be talking about a spot in the wild, in the, as a wild card team. And I just wonder, did this team management, the senior management of this team, did they miscalculate what this team was capable of? Because had they had just one or two more starting pitchers this year, I mean the team's hit okay this year. Uh, they've got some. They've got some good uh, run producing. They've, they've got. Uh, they're stealing bases. They're playing very good defense. Uh, what would have happened if they would have kept just Cueto, and they would have kept Chapman? Well, you know they just never have two. fully committed to this rebuild, because had they committed to the rebuild, they would have gotten rid of Jay Bruce, Votto, Phillips, Frazier, all of them probably together, even Homer Bailey, even though he was injured. Yeah, I I think they maybe are going to be embarrassed, because this team, if they finish really strong in the second half, um, uh, it's it's interesting to assume what they could have done, done, not assume, but seen what they would have done, had they kept that team in place for one more year, because... They're only down a half a game to the Cardinals with that winning percentage had they extrapolated that over the entire season. Well, pitching is the big story tonight for both clubs, Mark, both Cincinnati and Cleveland. And, of course, the Indians, they got some bad news today with right-hander Danny Salazar, who was 11-6, and 
heading into action tonight. Salazar had to leave Saturday's start, and they did an MRI on him today. They found out that his right forearm has a mild strain of the flexor muscle. Now, both you and I know that that flexor muscle is the one that usually causes the problem with the the, I, I can't even pronounce it, the UCT muscle, the ulcer colloidal, colloidal tendon in the elbow, but that flexor muscle is the one that causes the problem. He's going to receive a platelet-rich plasma injection, which is just another way of saying steroids, in the forearm tomorrow what? to help the whoa, whoa, healing whoa, whoa. process. Yes, I know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up that <laughs> truck a little bit. Just Here back go it up again. a little. What did you say? He is going to receive tomorrow an injection of platelet-rich plasma, which is just another way of saying steroids. Okay. You know what I'm going to say, right? I know, and I, I'm i going to give you the forum. Do, do, do you disagree with my thesis that that is a steroid by any other name, and yet they suspend guys for 50 games for taking anabolic steroids? What's the difference? Prescription? Yeah. That's the only difference. Okay, that's my point. So if you if you go to the doctor and he gives you this platelet-enriched stuff to put in your arm, but, but you could go to a doctor and get a steroid injection too. You can get a prescription for that. But MLB will suspend you. I don't understand the double standard here. I I agree. I, I'm not arguing with you on it. It's you're you're absolutely correct, and and I don't get it. I don't understand the double standard like you say, um, but if it gets Danny Salazar back in time to pitch in the playoffs, I'm all for it. <laughs> well, I'm not against it either, but I'm also not against certain forms of steroids that help a player heal faster. He's not taking it to be, you know, very bond strong. He's taking it so he can heal. And I see no reason that MLB should withhold that. Uh, if a player has a legitimate injury, just like this guy does, uh, and he goes to a doctor and he gets a prescription to make him heal faster so he can return to his team. I, I don't understand the difference there. I I don't get it either. He's not picking up a baseball mark for at least 10 days is what they say right now. And the best-case scenario for him to return to the mound again for the Tribe is in three to four weeks, which would put them pretty close to the American League championship series now i'm not going to ask you your opinion because it's probably about the same as mine but i know you're going to give it after i give mine anyway the indians are going to need trevor bauer to step up they are going to need josh tomlin to step up now josh tomlin has had a problem over the last few weeks mark he's he's pitching with a tired arm i think i talked about this almost a month ago that Josh Tomlin this year has pitched close to 160 innings, and then the previous four years combined, he has pitched only 240 innings. So he's got a tired right arm. He's pitched a lot of games. He's gone out there every fifth day, hasn't missed a start except for his last one, and he's going to get back into the rotation this Wednesday. The Tribe is hoping that this basically 10-day rest that they have given him is going to put him back on par with what he was doing early in the season. Mark, if you recall, he was one of the best pitchers in the first half of the American League season, and he almost made the All-Star team. Yeah, I, I think he's been a pleasant surprise this year. I don't think you would have penciled him in for starting every fifth day all year at the beginning of the year, but he's done a good job. And, and of course, the, the, the great strength of the Indians is the depth of that pitching staff. And this is this is why you have depth when you have. Uh, you know, would you say Salabar is your Salabar is your number one or number or number two or number three starter? Number three, okay. behind Kluber I mean, and Carrasco. I mean that, that, that's a incredibly strong pitching staff, uh, but you know they have they have the depth on that staff, and I, I think as you well know, once you get to the playoffs, you really don't need five starters anyway. Uh, no. You need three. So if they can come up with that third starter, uh, they're going to be fine going into the playoffs. Although Salazar is a guy, you know, it's, uh, he could be a number one starter for a lot of teams. He could. Of course, we've got an idiot up in Cleveland on the radio that thinks that the Indians are going to use five starters in a four out of seven series. 
I almost called him one night. He's on 92.3. I almost called him one night to try to explain to him that you're not going to need five starters, dude. <laughs> That's right. You might not even need four. You're going to need at least three, and that, that could be about it. And if it is indeed Carrasco, Kluber, and Bauer, uh, I would take those three, Mark, and I would put them up against anybody that anyone in the playoffs has to put up against them. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm trying to think, as you were talking, I was thinking about the other teams in baseball. Uh, now, the Dodgers, uh, if they get Kershaw back 100%, you could argue that with that pitching staff and Dia and those other guys out there, that's a pretty strong staff with it Kershaw is. at the top of it. But, you know, I don't understand where you could compare Cleveland's. Uh, Cleveland's staff is so deep that I would think maybe the Cubs – would match them on a one through five, or, or better yet, a one through twelve pitching staff. You know, I don't know, but it's 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 a very good staff. Let me throw this out to you, Mark. What World Series matchup right now, in your eyes, would be most television pleasing? Oh, that's simple. That's simple. Chicago and Cleveland. Do you really think that? Oh my God, yeah. I mean. <clears throat> there's going to be something magic about that because one team is going to end an incredibly long losing streak. <laughs> the Cubs twice as long as the as the Indians, but the Indians was 1954 last time they won the World well, Series. 54 they lost. 48 the last I mean, time they won it. I'm sorry. Uh, you're right. 48. I was thinking 54 they lost to the Giants, but um, yeah. So 48. That's 52. 62. 68 years. And the Cubs since 1908, 108 years. Yeah, I think that would there'd be a lot of drama there. Just like when Boston came back and won theirs a few years ago, the first time, uh, it'd be the same thing. I mean, that, that. I mean, do you disagree with that? No, no, I don't disagree with it whatsoever. It's just, you know, when you think about it, and that, and honestly, remember, if you remember, that's who I picked at the beginning of the year, but the Cubs to win the World Series, that yeah. the Indians and Cubs would meet up. Um, I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back, but I'm just saying I agree with you that I think that would be the most television-pleasing series in in baseball right now. But when I look back and I try to see which would be the biggest bust, I've almost got to say it would have to be probably Houston if they get in against maybe... Washington? Washington is not a very well-watched team. No, it's not. And, you know, you look around Major League Baseball, <clears throat> the Dodgers wouldn't excite me, even though they're now leading, I think what, what they have a three-game lead now, four-game lead. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I can't get excited about a team with that kind of payroll. True, true. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from on that. Um I'm going to give you an interesting stat here, Mark. This is this is really Sunday. Corey Kluber extended his record to 16 and nine on the season. Now that's not a big deal, except for he's only lost once since July 3rd. He also reached the 200 strikeout plateau for the third consecutive season. He's now got 208. The Indians ace joined Sam McDowell, who did it six times. Bob Feller, five, and Gaylord Perry, three, as the only pitchers in Cleveland history to have at least three 200 strikeout seasons. Mark, here's the thing about it. Corey Kluber has won a Cy Young Award back in 2014. If he wins it this year, he will be, I'm not even going to use this as a trivia question, I'm just going to tell you, he will be the only Indians pitcher to ever win the Cy Young Award twice in an Indian's uniform. Jeez. Yeah, isn't that hard to believe? Bob Feller never did it because they didn't give give it away back then. That's right. Um, Herb Score didn't do it. Um, No, Sam McDowell never did it. Gaylord Perry won it once in an Indian's uniform. So did uh, uh, Cliff Lee. C.C. Sabathia won it once. All the great pitchers that the Indians have had throughout their history... They have never had a two-time Cy Young Award winner. Louis Tiant never even won the Cy Young. 
as an Indian, which I thought was surprising. You know, I'm trying to think if the Reds have had one Cy Young Award winner. That's an interesting question. Um, did Danny Jackson win it? No. Remember, he, he got beat out by um, Oral Hershiser. Okay. All right. And Jose Rio never won it? No. Tom no, Seaver? Nope. Never won it as a Red? Never won it as a Red, no. Yeah, okay. Yeah, those would be the ones that I would guess as far as a Red. I, th- I think you're right. I don't think there has been a Red that has ever won the Cy Young Award. That, that, that's an interesting... That's an interesting question right there. Of course, here's another interesting question that we're going to ask in the second half hour. And I'll tell you what, I put this out on Facebook over the last week. And boy, did I get a lot of suggestions. Mark and I are going to talk about who the best Indian and Reds ball player ever, in our opinion, has been. And who the biggest bust has been for the Reds and the Indians. That's coming up in our second Half hour. Mark, here's a question that I've got for you. The Reds decided to skip Anthony DiScalafani's next turn in the rotation tonight to give him some rest. So Kevia Sampson went from the bullpen to start tonight against the Brewers at Great American Ballpark. Do the Reds fans have anything to worry about over this skip and his start? No, I, I think it's the fact, you know, this guy started late. He didn't come onto the scene until July because of some arm trouble. And he, he hasn't missed a start. Uh, he is not as sharp now as he was. And I'll tell you, I am all for giving pitchers during the season six and seven and eight day rest sometimes. I think it keeps them strong. I mean, I used to pitch and, uh, you know, you can pitch with four days rest and come back and, and be strong on that fifth day for a while. But after a while, you wear down. And if just a couple days extra. Uh, I, I think pitchers would be well-suited to have a manager give them that, that extra few days a year. It, maybe it would total, they might miss two or three starts for the year, but they're going to be so much stronger uh, at the end of the year when you need them. So uh, that doesn't apply for the Reds because of where they are in the standings this year. But I think you're smart to, to give a pitcher like that a, a couple of days extra. Well, it's interesting because this is the only start that he is scheduled to miss, according to Brian Price. They say he's going to make his next scheduled start on Sunday against the Pirates right there at Great American Ballpark. So if if everybody is on the up and up, Mark, I would say that you're probably right that there's nothing to worry about. On the other hand, Alfredo Simon is out for the year. Yeah, I mean, he, he should have never been signed. Uh, he was down in, I forget where he's from, uh, I, forget, I forget what Latin American country he is from, but they signed him uh, right near the beginning of the season, and he wasn't in shape, and he got hammered this year, absolutely hammered. Uh, he's going to end up with the, the highest run average in the history of the Cincinnati Reds for a starting pitcher for a season. And uh, he, he spent some time in the minor leagues, and, and just that was a bad signing for him, and a bad signing for the Reds. At the time, though, to to defend the Reds a little bit, which is kind of surprising the way I feel about Walt Jockety, but nonetheless, uh, they got caught between a rock and a hard place, Mark, because out of their five starters, four of them were out. That's right, and you're right. He, he didn't have a lot of options, but that was probably one of the worst options you could have. A guy who is not ready to pitch, and he comes in. They said he hurt his arm in his first start of the year. He was not stretched out, and he came in and threw seven or eight innings and didn't pitch badly. I think he lost four to two or something like that. Uh, and people thought, well, maybe he's, you know it's going to work out. And then he just got lit up the rest of the year. They sent him down to AAA, and he came back up and got hit even harder. So whatever the problem was, uh, he did not cure it down the minor leagues. And uh, his career with the Reds, I'm sure, is over. Let's see how you really feel about this signing of Alfredo Simon. If they would have had their choice between signing Simon and Matt Latos, which would you have taken? Simon. <laughs> <laughs> that tells us all we need to know, Mark. Yeah, I, I don't think there, there's been a guy who has been 
more disliked on a team uh, than Matt Latos. I mean, I, the people I've talked to with the Reds and guys who are in the know down there, I mean, he, he was just a jerk. And nobody on the team liked him, and they, the way he badmouthed the team after he was let go, uh, after he was traded. And you remember, he, let me see, who did he sign with? The White Sox. I think he signed with the White Sox. And he got off to a great start this year. If you remember, he was like mm-hmm. 4-0 and had a 1.3 ERA, and then the wheels fell off. I don't know what happened to him, but uh, a lot of people were saying, geez, maybe the Reds should have signed him. But he I, didn't he end up in Washington? Yeah, and then he got lit up there, uh, and then uh, you know just got he got pounded all year. So it was I, nice I'm not sure he's even in in baseball right now, is he? No, he's not. I'm, I'm looking him up right now uh, to just to see if I can find out. Um, no, he's making his first start on Monday for the Nationals. Oh my God! Yeah, they're going to start him against the Mets. I know they're signing him. I thought they let him go already. No, according to this, this is out of the Washington Post uh, just yesterday that he would be starting today against the Mets. So let's see if I can get an update. Yeah, Yeah. see how he did. Yeah, let's see how Matt Latos is doing for the Washington Nationals tonight against the New York Mets. This, This should be fairly interesting. Let's take a look here and see if I can... I can bring it up here. Here well, we I go. It's, I, I, it's, I don't believe it. Mark, the Nationals lead in the sixth inning, eight to one. I'll be darned. I knew they signed him, and uh, I didn't know that he was going to stay with them to get a start. Uh, but uh, was he with somebody else between the White Sox and the and the um, Nationals this year? No, I don't think so. I I think he. Uh... I think he just went straight to the White Sox or to the the Nationals. So far, he's pitched four and a third innings. Well, he only okay. Here here's his line score. He only pitched four and a third innings tonight. Gave up three hits, one run that was earned. Struck out four, walked three. It's not bad. Yeah, I'm sure you know. And I think the Nationals are probably thankful that he did that because he was taking over Steven Strasburg's spot in the rotation. Which leads us to the Steven Strasburg issue. Uh, do you think there's something? Yeah, do you think there's something there uh, that they are concerned about beyond this year? Mark, here, here's what I probably okay, but here's the point that I constantly make about Steven Strasburg, and and maybe I'm just, you know, it used to drive me nuts that my dad used to say this. Boy, back in the old days. But back in the old days, Mark, pitchers used to throw 300 innings, and they threw with arm problems, and they still won, and they battled through it because they knew their contract for the next year depended on it. Now these guys, Mark, they are hurt more often. They've got larger contracts. They've got more years on their contracts. And it almost, it, Mark, I, I don't get it. Why are pitchers today becoming more injured than they were 30 years ago? Well, number one, they were pitching uh, pitching a lot of innings, but they didn't have a bullpen that, that they have this year. Bullpens are changing everything. Uh, you don't have to throw nine innings anymore. If you can throw six innings uh, and and you can pitch 200 innings a year, you can make – Twenty-five, thirty million dollars a year. So they throw as hard as they can for as long as they can, and that's not what they did before. They would they would spot the ball more, and you know it would it was a different game. So I think it's very very difficult to compare try to compare eras because the rules are different. You didn't have I mean, look at the Indians bullpen or look at the Cubs bullpen. Uh, very few of their starters go beyond seven innings because they don't that's have to. That's true, but why the injuries? Because they throw harder. They're throwing. They're throwing. The average speed now coming up in the minor leagues. Guys are throwing 95, 96, 97 as an average, and they can hit 98, 99. That's going to put a lot of stress on your arm. But they they are telling these guys, look, you don't have to throw that hard for nine innings. Throw that hard for six innings, 
and we'll be very, very happy. No, I, I that that part of it I get, but you know, the Bob Fellers threw that that speed, the Nolan Ryan's threw that speed, Tom Seaver threw that speed, Bob Gibson threw that speed, you know, Mickey Lowe threw that speed, no, Taylor Perry threw a lot no, of junk. They, they, they yeah, didn't they did. That. No, Bob they didn't. Feller threw over a hundred miles an hour. Yes, he didn't throw that all the all the time though. Not I all mean, the time, was, no. But he was a, well, no, he was a, He's like Nolan Ryan. He was a very unusual pitcher. And most pitchers, like he's talked about Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver didn't throw 95, 96. He threw 91, yeah, he 92. And he had a great slider. He had a great changeup. He, he could and he never had up. an arm injury. Never had an arm injury, but he wasn't throwing that hard anymore. <clears throat> when you look at Nolan Ryan, those are once-in-a-generation guy. So, so is Chapman. I mean, he, he, those guys are rare that they can throw 100 miles an hour in the seventh or eighth or ninth inning, but... You ask why are there more injuries? I think it's because guys are lifting weights. They're they're very very strong, especially lower body, and the arm sometimes just can't hold up with that kind of stress. I mean, it's you know I've heard it said so many times that throwing a baseball is in a natural motion for an arm. So if you if you develop a good slider, you have a knuckleball, you have a, a change of pace, all those things don't require you to throw 100 miles an hour every time you go out there and pitch. Well, I think you've got to be smarter as an owner to give players long-term contracts anymore, especially in the case of a Steven Strasburg that was given the long-term contract at the beginning of this year, Mark, and then all of a sudden he starts having arm problems again. I think owners have to be smarter. Didn't I hear, uh, what, what did he sign that contract for? Uh, boy, now you're going to ask me to look it up again. No, I'm not uh, going to ask you to look it up. I think I remember what happened. People were saying the Nationals got him cheap. They got him cheap for the contract they that they signed him for. And people were wondering why he gave kind of gave away the farm. Seven years, $175 million. Well, so yeah, that's $22 million a year. $22 million a year. That's not cheap. But... You know, he could have gotten. What did Kershaw get? Thirty million. Yeah, but Mark, he couldn't have got it. His arm is always injured. If he goes into free agency at the end of this year, he's not going to get anything because he's out. I, I understand that, but you're you're asking why do why did Washington sign a pitcher that has a history of, of arm problems for 175 million dollars? I don't care what no, the No, that's term my is. question. Yeah, well, I can't answer it. I wouldn't have done it. Which, There's which, no way which, I would have either. I mean, the guy is, I, I want to see him come out and pitch 200 innings, 225 innings at, e, at least, and not get hurt. But they, I can, let, me, let me throw this one out at you, because Homer Bailey, neither you or I would have given him the contract that I did, but or that they did. But that being said... He was a guy that did not have a history of arm problems. So you could relatively be safe in saying he's worthy of a contract like that. Maybe not of that monetary value, but he's worthy of a long-term contract because he doesn't have the history of arm problems. This guy has had an arm problem virtually every single season he's been in baseball. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that was a... It was a high-risk uh, event for Washington to sign him to that amount of uh, the length of the contract, $22 million a year. But, you know, you said that Homer Bailey didn't have arm problems. Well, he does now. He does now. He has two surgeries yeah, the year after they signed him to that contract. <laughs> right. No, and, and you cannot foresee that. But with this guy, you could pretty much say, hey, he's an, he is a season-ending or a season-missing injury waiting to happen. Well, it could be Again. a career injury with him. Could be. Uh, and, and I think it could be with Homer Bailey. You know, Homer Bailey's missing his third start this week, and he has had two surgeries, and the Reds are holding their breath. Now, I think he only signed a seven-year contract at about $19 million a year. Wow, you know, that's not much money. And so he's, he's less than Strasburg. Even though he has two no hitters, and he has 
no history before last year of any kind of arm problems. But you're rolling dice with these hard-throwing pitchers, and you brought up a very good point. The general managers can't just look at velocity. Number one, velocity, I don't care who you are, it does wear down unless you're a freak like Nolan Ryan when he was throwing you know, 99 miles an hour when he was 47 years old. Insane. That's not going to happen. But these pitchers, either they're going to wear down, they're going to age, and if they're bread and butter, is striking guys out with a 99-mile-an-hour fastball at the letters. That's not going to be there all the time. And these kids, they come up through high school and even even Little League, and they're always the biggest, strongest kid on the team. They can strike everybody out, and they don't learn to pitch. And I think your point, at least I'm, I'm trying to give you credit for this, <laughs> that the difference between a Nolan Ryan, not a Nolan Ryan, but a Tom Seaver and a Robin Roberts, is those guys learned how to pitch. They didn't have to throw that hard. The same with Maddox and Glavin and that, that group. Those guys knew how to pitch. And as a hitter, I would, I would much rather take my chances. I don't care if a guy's throwing 95, 96. Take my chances with that as opposed to a guy who's throwing 91, 92 but I don't know what the hell he's throwing next. It's going to be a slider. It's going to be a, a, something on, on my hands, under my, on the, you know, at my shoe tops if he's a left-hand pitcher. And so those guys are much, much harder to hit. But the other thing is their careers last longer. You don't have to throw. If you know how to pitch, you can be 35 years old, a left-hander throwing 91, 92, and you're still getting guys out. Mark, in your opinion, who are the top three pitchers in baseball today? Well, Kershaw, I think, is number one. Um, I'm assuming healthy. Right. Uh, I think I think Kluber would be in the top three. And uh, uh, what's his name from Chicago? Um, oh, uh, Arietta. Arietta. Arietta, yeah. Yeah. I, now, I you've, got, be... you've got one that I would have put in the top three. I would have gone Kluber. Uh, Kluber, Madison Baumgartner, and I would say I would say uh, Cole Hamels over Kershaw. Right over Kershaw. Over Kershaw. Right now. Right now. Oh my God! You yeah. gotta be kidding. Now here's the reason. Okay, this is the reason I asked this question. We could go with any of the six. They're not overpowering. All six know how to pitch. They know how to pitch. They don't blow you away with 97, 98, 99 mile an hour fastballs. Well, Kershaw knows how to ninety-two or thir- ninety-three. Kershaw can throw you at ninety-seven, ninety-eight, but he knows how to pitch too. I can't see anybody that would leave Kershaw off their top three list in baseball. When healthy, yes, but right now, well, I said when healthy. That was my, you know, that was yeah. my admonition. But I mean, even if, my point is, is that you take any of those six, and you've got guys that know how to pitch. You know, you take Felix Hernandez out in Seattle. He knows how to pitch. Uh, C.C. Sabathia, he was the guy. Here's the perfect example, Mark. Perfect example of a pitcher. Bartolo Colon. He came up blowing people away and learned how to pitch the more that he was out on the mound. And he's still winning baseball games for the Mets at age 42 as a starter. Yeah, I saw him pitch last week against the Reds. And not only does he know how to pitch, I think he threw... 94 pitches, and they said 87 of them were fastballs. <laughs> he, 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 he knows how to use the pitch. Mark, okay, I want to get into this before we get into our best and our busts. Okay? Thursday at the Indians game, when the, the Indians were, were playing at home, it was an afternoon game against the Houston Astros. Indians had the bases loaded in the fourth inning, two outs, and Lonnie Chisholm was at the plate. There's a wild pitch thrown. Ball bounces in front of the plate. Chisenhall checks his swing. Ball gets by the catcher. Instead of going after the ball, Mark, which you're taught to do in Little League, probably in T-ball, okay, you're taught to go after the baseball. No. Cedeno, the catcher, decides he's going to stand there and argue with Jim Joyce that he thinks Lonnie Chisenhall foul-tipped the ball. So the ball just sits at the backstop. The runner from third comes home. The runner from second comes home. Jose Ramirez, who is at first base, rounds second, rounds third. 
He starts to come home. Cedeno is still arguing with Jim Joyce, the home plate umpire, and all of a sudden Jim Joyce runs out in front of the plate and stops Jose Ramirez from scoring and sends him back to third. Now, let me go back to your umpiring days, Mark. Pardon my French. What the hell was Jim Joyce doing? If well, Houston I... doesn't have any urgency to go get the baseball, what does he think he's got to stop the play for? What I heard, I, you and I talked about this before the, the broadcast started, uh, he is claiming that he called time out. That's stopped the play because of the argument that, that there was a timeout on the field, so he held up a third runner, but there was not a, a timeout when the first two. Now, I know it makes no sense, but uh, that's that's what he is claiming. Yeah, how can you call a timeout with the catcher arguing and a live ball is sitting at the backstop? Nobody went to the backstop to get the ball, Mark. He I know. just let it lie there. I, I know, and this is the same guy... And, and, that blew the perfect game. So, yes. you know, he's got a history of, of bonehead plays. And what would you call him? He said he was he's he the, is nicest, the nicest, bad umpire. terrible umpire in baseball. <laughs> All the managers think he's just the nicest guy because he owns up to his mistakes. He is the nicest, most terrible umpire in baseball. And that's only because Angel Hernandez and C.V. Buckner don't talk. Jim, Jim Joyce comes out to any available microphone. He's like Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Give him a microphone, he'll talk. That That's the thing about Jim Joyce. But here's the thing that I also was confused about, Mark. They let the runner at second score. They gave the Indians the two runs. But then they went back to the replay. Why, I don't know, because then they came out and said, oh, it's a non-reviewable play. So evidently they got on the headsets and New York said, uh, we have no jurisdiction over this. What are you on the phone with us for? And they come back out, and they put Ramirez back at second. And my son, whom I went to the game with, my younger son, he looks at me and he goes, now wait a second here. They let the guy from second score, but Ramirez isn't allowed to go from first to third? They put him back at second? This whole play yeah, was just no totally sense. botched. And it started with the catcher not going after the baseball, which is a fundamental. I'll tell you what, if I'm a manager and he's my catcher and he just stood there arguing with the umpire, Mark, and allowed two runs, possibly three to score, his butt is on the bench next to me the rest of the ball game. And then he's going to be out of the ball game so fast he's going to be wondering, where'd my equipment go? What happened here? Huh? Dave, you're forgetting about the union. So uh, that wouldn't happen. But uh, I, I get what's the, the union going to say if I pull a guy out of the ball game because he refused to go after a baseball? He was too concerned with arguing with the umpire. Oh, believe me, they, if, if he would embarrass him in front of uh, you know millions of fans, yeah, that they, they would be all over you. And uh, managers typically won't do that. But uh, I, I see your point. I can, I can put it this way: I can understand the frustration to do such a thing. <laughs> uh, just an unbelievable play on on all ends of the Houston catcher and the umpire to just completely botch that entire play. I don't know what the correct call is, Mark. I really don't. I, I, I've tried to find it. There is no precedent that I can find over a live ball just sitting there and nobody going after it. Well, obviously, the, no matter if the umpire got the play wrong or not, it's the catcher's fault for not going after the ball. You can always argue right. later, no matter what. Right. So, all right. So, we've been we've been plugging this now for a couple weeks, and like I said, I've I've posted it on Facebook now for a couple weeks, and boy, did I get some interesting ideas on the Indians' best, the Indians and Reds' best player all time, and the Indians and Reds' biggest bust. Now, the way this came about was Mo Egger down in Cincinnati was asked the question, who is the best player ever in Cincinnati Reds history? And our producer, Greg Mitchell, threw it out at me. And I said, I know what my answer is for the Reds, but I know what Mark's answer would be for the Reds. And then he said, you know what would be interesting to find out then is who the biggest busts are for the Reds 
and the Indians. And you and I took it a couple of different directions. I looked at it as draft picks, free agents, and trades, and I picked one out of all three. You went mainly, I believe, with just draft picks. I did, uh, but you, you really have to break those three categories, the, you know, the free agent signings, the the bad trades, and, and the um, signing of, of rookies uh, in the draft as three different categories. And then you could measure, you know, what impact uh, a trade had compared to a bad draft choice. Uh, you know, a, a bad trade uh, hurts a team in so, so many ways. So I look at the the worst the, the worst trade in my opinion, and, and if you want me to start, I'll start with the I think the most obvious, the most horrible trade the Reds ever made was Frank Robinson for Milt Pappas. Uh, there can be no, in fact that may be that may rank in one of the worst trades of all time in, for, for any team. Now, how, I don't know how you categorize that in terms of. Your your definition of the of our assignment here was the worst deal. Was it the the biggest bust? The biggest bust. Uh, the biggest bust. Would well, that would mean Milt Pappas, who wasn't terrible, you know, for the Reds, but the 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 egregious aspect of that trade was you gave up a Hall of Famer in Frank Robinson, and that's so. I blame that on the general manager, not on Milt Pappas. So, again, I'm giving myself some leeway here. But to me, the worst, the biggest bust would be a draft pick. Because I couldn't think of a free agent signing that was that bad for the Reds that would measure compared, number one, to Frank Robinson's deal, which I blame the GM, or the draft picks. So I said the draft picks that the Reds made – and I came up with seven or eight of them, which I guess I can quiz you on this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> there, there was eight draft picks. And, and my category was that I looked at a a first-round pick. And the Reds had never had the number one pick, by the way. But a first-round pick, and they had to be one through ten because they've had some guys they they picked number 12 or 13 and you never heard of them before but i'm going to i'm going to read some names to you and you tell me what you think i i had picked mine already what do you think was the worst draft pick for the reds and this is my category by the way this is where i come up with the most underperforming players put it that way you ever hear of larry payne no of course not Number seven pick, 1972. Number number two pick in 1983 was Kurt Stilwell. We've heard of him. Yep. Uh, 84, Pat Pasillo, a right-hand pitcher, number five. 1990, Dan Wilson, number seven, a catcher. And Dan Wilson went on to, San, to Seattle and had some good years. Uh, 1992, Chad Matolo, an outfielder, number five. Uh, that That name I've heard. Yes. Uh, C.J. Niskowski, a left-hand pitcher, actually pitched several years for Detroit, had a pretty good career, number nine draft pick. Austin Kearns, 1998, a number seven pick. And Chris Gruller, you ever hear him? No. Okay. That's why he is my pick as the most underperforming uh, player for the Reds. Uh, he was a number three pick. He never made it to the big leagues. He got hurt two or three times, and he, he was the highest pick the Reds ever had up until this year. Actually, he was number three. They had a number two in 83 and a number two this year. But he was the guy who nobody ever heard of and was the number three pick, and uh, he's my he's my guy. That They paid him a lot of money. He never performed, and th- that's my rationale of, of, by your definition, the most underperforming player the Reds have ever had. <laughs> well, and, you know, we could go back to your trade, Frank Robinson for Milt Pappas, and not only did they trade a Hall of Famer away, but the very next year, Mark, wasn't it the very next year that they traded him to Baltimore? He won the Triple Crown? Well, he he was traded to Baltimore, 
That's right. where he won the Triple Crown. So, yeah, he won the Triple Crown in 1966. Uh, he played for the Reds in 65. He was traded. That was my first year in college, and I was so depressed, I couldn't sleep. He's my favorite <laughs> player. And and I said, he's going to win the Triple Crown next year, and he won the Triple Crown. And he led Baltimore to a World Series championship, and, I mean, it's just an unbelievable, unbelievable trade. But you can't you – know, Milt Pappas, I think, was – I think he won 12 or 15 games that year. He didn't pitch horribly. Uh, but that's, you know, you can't blame him for a horrific trade by the GM. So, again, you look at the, I think the only way you measure this, and, and maybe I'm missing one, but I couldn't think of a free agent the Reds had that was that egregiously bad that would would be as bad as an underperforming draft pick. Well, and, and Frank Robinson obviously was your pick for the best Reds player. Yes, Frank Robinson was my pick. Overall, the best Reds player of all time. However, I will say this, Joey Votto is up there. I looked at his numbers compared to uh, a lot of Reds players in the past, and the people we pay homage to in the big red machine, Joey Votto's numbers are way better. I mean, way better than any one of the guys in the Big Red Machine, including Pete Rose. He's got a much higher batting average. So, But not as many hits. Not as many hits, and, but, but he hasn't played and, as many years either. <laughs> you know, Pete played forever, and Pete, uh, jo- Joey's going to play for 20 years probably, and he's probably going to have, you know, over 2,000 hits and 400 home runs, and he's a great, great player. My My best player in Reds history, still Pete Rose. But then again, I may be a little biased. As far as the Indians are concerned, I looked at this both free agents, trades, um, and and draft picks. If I was going to pick a draft pick, it would have been a man named, have you ever heard of this name? Steve Dunning. Yes, I have. Steve Dunning. I have heard of that name. 1970 from Stanford, right-handed pitcher, 6'7". He's 67 years old now. Mark, I actually met Steve Dunning. He's living in Lorain, Ohio. I actually met Steve Dunning about 20 years ago on a sales call. And I walked in. He introduced himself as Steve Dunning. I knew how big he was. And I said, did you used to pitch for the Indians? He said, yes. And he was kind of embarrassed by it. Um, I would say he was the biggest bust because he was a guy that was supposed to come in and be... Just an outstanding pitcher from the get-go and never did reach his capabilities. Now, he's the biggest bust as far as a draft pick is concerned. As far as a trade is concerned, I would say Charlie Spikes. The Indians got him, along with Rusty Torres and a couple of other guys, from the New York Yankees in an infamous deal that basically gave the American League pennant to the Yankees when they traded Chris Chambliss to the Yankees for a bunch of nothings. Um, and this was supposed to be one of the greatest trades that the Indians ever made. And He was traded to the Tribe in 1973. He played five of eight years for Cleveland. He hit 72 home runs, but only six in his last two years with the team. He had 229 RBIs, but only 42 in his last two years. Basically, he did a Mel Turpin. He ate himself out of the league. That That's pretty much what he did. He played one more year with Detroit, two years with the Braves before they were any good. They cut him. And nobody seems to know where he is right now. He was out of baseball by the age of 29. Um, I got one guy said, you're going to find this hard to believe, said that the biggest bust in the Indians' history was Richie Scheinblum. Oh, God. Now, you remember him. Yeah. But he didn't do anything for the Indians. He started to hit when he went to Kansas City. Yeah, I remember that. And I think he played for the Reds. Yeah, he did play for Didn't they trade him for, um, Hal, uh, oh, what is the manager's name? Hal? McCray? McCray. Yeah. Didn't they trade him for Richie Scheinblum? I, I, the timing would work for that. Um, I, I don't know exactly who they got, but Richie Scheinblum had a, a couple of years with the Reds, 
and uh, they were they were not very good back then that, that when they got him. But uh, yeah, these the, these names of guys who didn't. I mean, you know, you could you could stretch out rather than the, the I guess the worst performing is the most disappointing guy. And uh, how about the, the guy who played for you guys for one year? A rookie came up and hit what twenty five, thirty home runs, and never. I think he had. He, I forget who he was now. Super Joe Charbonneau. That's it, Joe Charbonneau. Yes. And you know his name crossed my mind. I bet in his rookie year, you guys were thinking, "My God, we got a guy who's going to hit. You know, he's going to be Rocky Calavito all over again." Mark, here's who I picked. It came down between two people, Wayne Garland. And the man that I picked, Keith Hernandez. The reason I took Keith Hernandez was because he signed a contract with the Indians in 1991. John McNamara was the manager. He was going to be the Indians' first baseman. Signed a contract with the Indians in 1991. I remember it was a one-year deal with a club option for a second year, $1 million. This guy came in, Mark, played one game. Didn't even play the entire game. Left at, I think it was the end of the fifth inning in the first game. Never played another game. Never even showed up in the Indians clubhouse. He went back to New York with a supposed leg injury and spent more time in the Mets clubhouse and doing ball games for the Mets that year on TV than he did for the team that was paying him week after week after week. So in my opinion, Keith Hernandez was the biggest bust. Wayne Garland, is right there next to him because he was really one of the first big free agent signees. Mark, the Indians signed him to a 10-year deal for $1 million. 10-year deal, $1 million. Okay? Yeah, that was big money back then. $100,000 a year. In the second year, he was gone. He blew out his arm. And well, he was Believe gone. it or not, I faced Wayne Garland. Uh, he had, was playing in a men's senior baseball league several years ago, and uh, I remember facing him. And uh, you know, he, he wasn't throwing very hard then. But uh, um, it's funny. There's a lot of guys that play in that league that at one time were big time players, and then uh, they, they continue to play because of fun, not because of money. But uh, it's, it's when you play in, in the leagues I play in. You run across these former major league players all the time, and, and some were pretty big stars. Um, you know, some were up for a cup of coffee. Literally, our, our catcher came up for one game for the St. Louis Cardinals, played in one game. Hmm. And we call him Moonlight. <laughs> or Moonlight <laughs> Graham. <laughs> Moonlight Graham. That's right. Yep. Who was a real person, by the way. That's right. He was. That's true. Yeah. But the best player that I've got in Indians history – People are going to say, what? He's Because I, I thought about a lot of players. Bob Feller was one, of course. I, I mean, he's probably, if you took a vote, Bob Feller would probably win it. My dad said Lou Boudreau. He said because Lou Boudreau was a player manager. That, that's what my father said was Lou Boudreau. Andre Thornton's another one. Jim Tomey, Omar Vizquel. But the guy that I took, Mark, I never saw him play. But I look at his stats, and unbelievable. Earl Averill. Yeah, Hall, Hall of Famer. Yeah, 1,509 games. This guy had 1,903 hits, 226 home runs, and 1,084 RBIs. For that amount of games, for what he did, in my opinion, Earl Averill is the best Indian ever to play for. Well, I would have picked I, – I picked Bob Feller. I thought he – uh, I, I thought about Earl A. Rowe, but you know, I, I, I've seen pictures of Bob Feller. I never saw him play, obviously, but I've seen pictures of him pitch. And how tall was he? Because he looked like he's about five eight. No, he was about six one or two. I, I've met the guy. Thing? Yeah, he was six one or two. Oh, I, but he looks—he's so compactly built. I mean, he was really put together, yeah. and he, he threw—he threw really hard. So I thought he was by far the – I thought about Earl Averill, but, again, not seeing him play, it's not fair to great guys that we don't know back in 
the 20s and 30s who may have been fantastic players, uh, you know, for both teams, that we just, you know, we, we are prejudiced with the ones we've seen. Well, yeah. Uh, Ray Chapman, the only man to ever be killed in a baseball game. From yeah. From what I understand, he was a heck of a ball player. Yeah, was shortstop and got hit in the head and got killed. Yeah, uh, Johnny Vandermeer. Uh, no, Vandermeer, the only no, guy but, to throw two consecutive no hitters. I know, but he, he he didn't even have a 500 record as a, as a starting pitcher for the Reds. No, I'm just uh, throwing out names. Oh yeah, yeah, but uh, you're yeah. right. I mean, there are guys that we've never heard of. Uh, who's the the Schnoz, the catcher for the Reds? Um, oh. His name is that one, that, You've got me on that one. Yeah, he, uh, he was back in the, in the 40s. He was their starting catcher. Uh, hit, I think he had a lifetime batting average of 328 or 330, something like that. Uh, you know, Ted Kozuski, Johnny Bench. You have so many great players for the Reds, but you, you know, you have to put it in perspective. Of to me, the greatest player is maybe not the guy with the best statistics, but at the time. He was the most valuable player on a good team for a long time. Now, I know that's a lot of criteria, but think about that. A guy who had a lot of great stats but played for a crummy team, you can't really say they made a difference because they didn't, because he was still on a crummy team. But you look at a guy like Barry Larkin. I mean, Barry Larkin has to be up there. He was on my list. He was on my short list because he was a great player on some great teams. And, you know, they, they only won one World Series with him, but that's more than many teams get. But, the, you know, the, the teams he played for were, were, were competitive teams. Uh, he was an all-star for a number of years. So there's a lot of guys that qualify, but I look at what they bring to the team to win. I mean, if you're, if you're hitting 340 and you're hitting 40 home runs, but your team is 18 games out of first place, uh, you know, that doesn't impress me as much as a guy who might hit 290, but he he drives in big runs and, and wins big games for a team. And yet, two of the greatest seasons I've ever seen, Mark, have come from guys that finished in last place. Steve Carlton on the mound with the Phillies when he won 27 games for a team that won, what, 57? Yeah. That year. And Andre Dawson with the Cubs. Yeah, when they true. finished in last place. You know, you bring up a good point. And, and if I had to pick one player that, that that criteria you just mentioned, it would be Steve Carlton. And again, I was living in Philadelphia, and I had seasons tickets for the Phillies games, and I would see Steve Carlton pitch, and he was the most unhittable pitcher I've ever seen. Every, I bet if there's somebody who kept the stat, there were more swings and misses from Steve Carlton. Than any pitcher that ever pitched, he won. What did he won? Twenty-seven games that year. Twenty-seven. Uh, that's unbelievable for a team that bad. <laughs> they were really bad. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that may be one of the greatest seasons ever ever had by by anybody. You talk about Mark, and and we'll mention this. And then we've got we only got a couple minutes left on the show. But you mentioned some of the worst trades ever made. A lot of people think that that had to be a terrible trade between the Cardinals and the Phillies. No, they got Rick Steve Wise. Carlton. For Rick Wise, yeah. Rick Wise was a good pitcher. Oh, he was a very good pitcher, and he just wasn't as good as Carlton. But, he, you know, Rick Wise, uh, he pitched a no-hitter, and he also had two home runs in the same game, a game I saw against the Reds. He had two home runs and, hit a, and he pitched a no-hitter. Not a bad night. Yeah. He was an outstanding major league pitcher. Sure. And if I remember right, the Cardinals, even though then they were up against, you know, back in those years, they were facing off in that Eastern Division with the Pirates every year. And the Pirates were an extremely good baseball team back then, and the Cardinals never could break down that wall against the Pirates. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. That was a great team. You know, you can't. When both teams get a good player, that's a good trade. It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. Mark, after tonight, what are the Reds doing right now, if, if you know, and what have they got the rest of this week? Well, the rest of this right now they've won their second straight game and second straight shutout. Uh, they won tonight three to nothing. Keita Sampson pitched four and two-thirds innings and uh, actually did not get the win. But uh, Rocio Iglesias was, was dominant in the bullpen tonight. 
and uh, the Reds had three runs and seven hits. Uh, and we see the rest of this week. They got they got Chicago coming up after this series with well, they got Milwaukee. Pittsburgh. I'm sorry, Pittsburgh on the weekend. Yeah. And they got Chicago next week. That's right. Yeah, and the Indians they're down right now, five to three in the fifth inning to the White Sox. So they need to come back in this one. They've got the Uh-oh. White Sox for a four game set. Dave, they this could be it. This could be it. It could be. This could, this could be where they, they slide down the pole and uh, your winner is ruined. <laughs> could be. And then this weekend, I'll tell you what, Mark, big series this weekend. Tribe has Detroit at home in a three-game set. Oh, boy. So it could be. There you go. Here we Here we are. The season could be played out this weekend in Cleveland. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you again next Monday night, Mark. Have a good one, Dave. Oh, don't forget, coming up this Friday night, we've got high school football on the air for you on Ultimate Sports Talk. That'll be at 7 o'clock as Waynedale takes on Hillsdale, 6.30 with the pregame show here on the UltimateSportsTalk.com. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget to join us again next week, next Monday night, for another show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's program, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. For Mark Donahue... I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good night, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Clazoo's